This morning we are coming to the end of our summer series from the book of Ruth, a woman who met with God. And uh, over the last few weeks we've been going through the book of Ruth and this morning we land in Ruth chapter 4 and I've asked Jim if he will come and read uh, the first, in fact he can read the, the, the whole of Ruth chapter 4 to us and it will come up behind me on the screen so you'll be able to follow in your Bibles. He's reading from the NIV version of the Bible. This is what it says. Chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of the land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and to all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by his young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, the whip, sorry, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better than, you, than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Thanks, Jim. 
I was going to make him read all the complicated names at the end because he's a teacher and just sort of all the times he teachers put me through that in school, made me read things, that long words, and, uh, but Jim would have done fine, I'm sure. This is a great story, and uh, it's uh, a, a big, the big narrative of the book of Ruth is of lost hope being restored. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Apollo 13. Apollo 13 is based on a, a true story Uh, John Gross uh, reminds me that he actually watched it happening live. It was happening live. I watched it on TV uh, way back. And uh, uh, it's a a true story of what happened. Apollo 13 is on a mission. It's uh, on a space mission. And uh, it hits a moment where there's an explosion and there's damage to the spacecraft. And Apollo 13, uh, it, it loses all power. And uh, they don't know what to do. They, they fear that they're about to lose uh, the three members of the space, spacecraft in the film. Tom Hanks plays uh, Jim Lovell, who's uh, the commander. And it's a, it's a terrible moment. Are they going to be able to get these men back from space? The spacecraft, Apollo 13, is going towards the moon. It's lost all power. They've got very little power left in the batteries but it's going towards the moon, and they don't know how to get it back towards Earth. And uh, they, uh, they, they're fearful about starting the main engine because it might cause a main exp- uh, another big explosion. So they decide, they come up with this plan, and the plan is this, that they're going to use the little power that's available in uh, the, uh, some of the batteries to, uh, to fire Apollo 13 at the moon. And the aim is that they're going to pick up the gravitational field of the moon. They're going to slingshot Apollo 13 around the moon. And it's going to come back towards Earth with greater momentum than it has at the moment. Because it's got no momentum. It's basically lost. They, th- they, they fear they're going to lose them all. And so they, that's what they do. They fire uh, these little boosters. They hit the gravitational pull of the moon. And suddenly, this spaceship is whipped around the back of the moon and comes out at the other side. And it's heading towards Earth. And it makes re-entry. As it's coming back, the spacecraft is still broken. It's still damaged. But it's going in the right direction. And I felt God speak to me about this, uh, this story, this, uh, uh, this true story, that there are moments in life when we feel the mission has come to an end. We feel like the story for us has come to an end. We feel broken and damaged and ruined, and we don't know how we're going to get back on track. We feel like we're going in the wrong direction. That isn't how this, this was meant to turn out. And we find ourselves in a moment, and it's broken, it's damaged, and we don't know what to do. And in those moments, we have to, if, with all the energy we have left, we have to throw ourselves at the one who can turn it round. We throw ourselves into Jesus Christ. And as we throw ourselves at Christ, he is the one that enables us to turn everything around. He's the one that catches us up in his great purposes and by his spirit, he pulls us out and we somehow come out of a situation with more momentum than we had when we went in. We had none and suddenly he turns us around and he throws us back on course. And so we have to throw ourselves onto Christ. 
And I felt God speak to me out of this picture that there are many of us here today who have felt like that, feel like the mission has come to an end. Feel like we're broken and damaged. There is no hope. We're drifting aimlessly. Maybe that's what you found over this summer. You found yourself drifting aimlessly. Well, God wants to say to you this morning, it is not all over. It is not all over. And God wants to turn you around. He wants you to throw, with all your energy, he wants to throw yourself on Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who can reinvigorate, re-envision, turn you around. And he can send you back in the direction you should be going in with more energy than you ever dreamed of. He may not repair everything. You still may feel broken in places. But God promises to turn things around. Hallelujah. This is the story of Ruth. Naomi's a a broken woman without hope. Her husband and two sons have died. She's impoverished. She's living in Moab, far from home, far from the people of God. The mission is over. Once she had everything to look forward to, but now there's nothing. The story begins with her leaving for Bethlehem and returning to her own people. She's bitter and she's empty. As far as she's concerned, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. Have you felt like that? It's God's fault. A surprising twist in the plot is that Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law, chooses to go back with her despite being a widow herself and despite Ruth having no realistic prospect of finding a new husband in Israel, she goes back with her. Over the last few weeks, we've watched this beautiful tale unfold. We've watched God begin to restore hope for Naomi and Ruth. God miraculously provides for both of them through through one of Naomi's relatives called Boaz. He's called in the story a kinsman redeemer. John unpacked that in one of the earlier weeks. And we see how love begins to blossom between Boaz, the hero, and Ruth, this poor outsider who throws herself on his loving kindness. The book of Ruth uses this word hesed. God, the loving kindness, it's a loving kindness that goes deeper than anything else. It's the very loving kindness of God and she throws herself on Boaz's loving kindness. And today, this morning, we reach the climax of the story. We're going to find that when we place our hope in the right person, hope never fails. Throughout church history, Boaz has been seen as a a type of Christ, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. We often don't clearly see God's plan of redemption unfold. We see it hidden and shrouded. And we see hints of it through characters like Boaz. And Boaz is, is if you like, a picture of Jesus Christ. And John unpacked a bit of that the last couple of times he's preached. But when we look at Ruth, we see a picture of of ourselves, a picture of ourselves, the church, a poor outsider receiving grace, receiving mercy that she doesn't deserve. We receive mercy and grace from God that we do not deserve. God wants us, I believe, to see two things this morning out of this final chapter. The first thing is this, is that Jesus always 
contends for us. When you watch Apollo 13, they're stuck in space. These guys are stuck in space. They are drifting. They are thousands of miles away from home. They are out of, they have no control over what's happening. They don't know what to do. They are drifting aimlessly. And they are lost. There is no way back for them. And yet, in mission control, there are people who are working, contending for them, working things out for them, coming up with a strategy to bring them back home. And there's a a couple of lines in the film from one of the characters called Gene Kranz. That was his real name. And in the film, someone says to him, this is the worst disaster that NASA has ever faced. And he says this, with all due respect, I believe this is going to be our greatest hour. Failure is not an option. We have one in heaven who takes up our course. Jesus Christ always contends for us. Always contends for us. When Jesus takes up our cause, suddenly hope is revived. Paul says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Knowing Jesus takes up our cause gives us confidence. Confidence in the right person can change everything. Ruth found that she could be confident in Boaz. He was a man of his word. He fought for her. He came through for her. God wants us to know that we can be confident in one who is far greater than Boaz. God wants us to know that we can trust Jesus Christ. He is our kinsman redeemer. He's our kinsman. He's a man just like us, the Bible says, but without sin. He is our redeemer. He is the one that has brought us back. He has paid the price for us. He has dealt with our sin on the cross. He has brought us back. The Bible says, Paul says in Corinthians, we have been bought at a price. In Revelation it says this, in him we have redemption through his blood. We have been redeemed. We have been bought back through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Each one of us this morning should have confidence. We should have confidence because Jesus contends for us immediately. This is what it says about Boaz. In chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, for the man, this is Naomi talking, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the city gate. You see, as soon as it's dawn, Boaz wastes no time in actioning Ruth's bold request of marry me. What a beautiful picture of prayer. Ruth comes to Boaz at the threshing floor in the middle of the night. She lies at his feet. He's asleep. He suddenly wakes up and she petitions him. She says to him, effectively, will you marry me? Be my kinsman redeemer. 
he hears her bold request. And immediately he goes out to contend for her. She has to do nothing. It's all down to him. What happens when we pray? We come to God. We come to Jesus Christ. We come before God in the name of Jesus. And sometimes it feels like God is asleep. Sometimes it feels that he hasn't heard our cry. We're crying out to him, God, help me. Break through for me. It feels like God's asleep. But God never slumbers nor sleeps, the Bible says. And God hears our cries. And he hears our cries and he acts on our cries. God is a God who hears the prayers of his children. And God, when he hears our prayers... He acts on them. Jesus contends for us. We have one in heaven who ever lives to intercede for us, we're told in Hebrews. So we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. I was, a couple of Sundays ago, I'm sure Dave won't mind me sharing this. Dave Mace came forward for prayer. You don't mind me sharing this, do you, Dave? It's too late. Dave comes forward for prayer, and um, I, I'm talking, I said, what, what are you responding for, Dave? He says, I, just work is tough at the moment. It's been tough for a number of years. I've been working contracts up in London, and I need a breakthrough, and uh, we've prayed about this many times. And uh, we were talking about the whole thing about Bartimaeus, and when Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And so I said, said Dave, what do you want Jesus to do for you, Dave? We're going to be bold. We're going to pray in faith. And he said, I, I, I've got an interview on Thursday. And he said, I'd love to get the job. It's, it's in Basingstoke. And I'd like God to work out so I can uh, get out of this con- come out of this contract that I'm in at the moment. And so, we just, so I just prayed for him. I prayed, God, do it. Would you hear his cry? I prayed specifically, boldly. And at the end of it, he went away, and inside I'm thinking, oh, no. Did I, maybe I was a bit aggressive when I prayed. Did I pray too boldly? Did, I'm thinking, what if he doesn't get the job? What, oh, no. What's gonna? So I'm thinking that as I'm going. He's not thinking that. He doesn't know I'm thinking that. So in the week, I'm praying for him. I'm going, God, please show up for Dave. Make his interview go well. So I'm praying like that. And uh, on the Thursday, I'm thinking... Well, if he gets it, he probably dropped me a line, and I don't hear anything. And I'm thinking, oh, no, what am I going to say to him on Sunday? He doesn't get the job, and I pray that he gets, God, oh, no. So I come to church on Sunday, and um, Dave's walking by. I said, oh, Dave, I guess you didn't get the job. He said, no, no, I got the job. I'm like, (laughs) so internally, I'm going, yes. But I'm think, I said, oh, I said, I, when I didn't hear, I just presumed he said, oh, I, I thought you'd be too busy. You wouldn't want to know. And I'm thinking, oh, Dave, you don't know how much I wanted to know. You do not know how much I wanted to know. God comes through for us immediately. He, Boaz acts on Ruth's behalf. Jesus acts on our behalf. So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and grace, find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God wants us to pray faith-filled, bold prayers. But Jesus also contends for us publicly. We see Boaz goes up to the town gate. You see, this is no backstreet deal 
done behind closed doors. This was done for all to see. Boaz goes to the public square. He was not ashamed to let everybody know that he wanted Ruth. He wanted her. He wanted to be her kinsman redeemer. And he was prepared to go to the public place and declare that he wanted this poor Moabite woman. When Jesus contended for us, it could not have been done more publicly. He hung on a cross between heaven and earth outside the gates of Jerusalem. He hung there for all to see, wanting all to know that he wanted you. He died for you publicly that all might know that he loves you. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, let me urge you to do that this morning. Jesus Christ wants you. He died for you and he wants you to come and know his Father. He did it publicly. But he did it legally as well. Boaz sat down at the town gate to do business. It was a place where legal transactions were done. Boaz was able and willing to redeem the land. He was, more importantly, he was willing to marry Ruth. He entered a legally binding agreement in front of ten witnesses. Ruth could do nothing. She was beholden to his mercy. Once the transaction was done, there was no going back. It was legally dealt with once and for all. When the Bible talks about what Jesus did for us, it uses legal language. It uses a word. It uses, and the word it uses is justification. Paul tells us, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I don't know if you followed the news over recent months. You will have seen that former members of the IRA who committed atrocities, were given letters of comfort that they wouldn't be prosecuted if they turned Queen's evidence. Basically a letter saying, we won't prosecute you, we won't, we, we won't pursue you for this. Are they legally binding? Don't know. But I want to tell you this, we have no letter of comfort from heaven. We're not relying on a letter. We are relying on something that has been dealt with legally once and for all. Jesus Christ died for our sins that we might be sons and daughters of God. It's legally dealt with. There is simply no case to answer. It is finished. Your sin is forever dealt with if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you have genuinely given your life to Christ, I believe the book of Ruth reminds us that we are saved for eternity. Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. It is legally dealt with. Jesus also contends for us with grace. I don't know if you've seen the film The Godfather. One of the, the taglines of 
the Godfather is this. It's not personal. It's strictly business. I want to tell you that this is about people. This is not about business. You see, there is a moral obligation, not a legal one, for Boaz to marry Ruth. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to do it, but he wants to do it. He chooses to do it. Boaz says this. I want you to listen to this very carefully. He says, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. What on earth does that mean? If we're talking about Boaz being a type of Christ, what does, what does that mean? What could that mean? A lot of old writers over the centuries have said that this kinsman redeemer that is nearer is the law. It's a picture of the law. You see, the law has a claim on us. We have to keep the law. If we're going to stand justified before God, we have to keep the law. That's what the Old Testament teaches us. There is only one way in the Old Testament to be right with God, and that is the law. The trouble is we can never keep it. We can never match the standard. The law exposes what we're really like inside. It exposes our great flaw, our sin. It makes us realize we can never achieve that standard. And in this story, this other kinsman, he says, he says this, listen to this. He says this, I cannot redeem because it might endanger my own estate. The law cannot redeem us. The law can't save you. You will not be redeemed by being good, by trying to keep the law. You just can't do it. You will never make the grade. We need another kinsman. We need another redeemer. We need one who redeems us through grace, not out of law. He redeems us through grace. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. Hallelujah. This is what it says. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace. You are saved not by your efforts. You are saved by the grace of God. Jesus contends for us with grace. Jesus contends for us sacrificially. You see, it involved a personal sacrifice to be a kinsman redeemer. It was costly. It had to be a voluntary commitment. He had to give of his own inheritance for the sake of others. It required an act of love and sacrifice. The unnamed kinsman redeemer is not able to pay the price, but Boaz is. The book of Ruth uses this word hesed, which means a deep, steadfast love. It's no ordinary love. It's a picture of the loving kindness of God. Boaz demonstrates hesed. And yet it is a pale imitation of the love of God demonstrated on the cross through Jesus Christ. Someone once said this, Hesed is the spirit of going beyond the law. Jesus Christ went beyond the law for us that we might be sons of God. Hallelujah. Jesus contends for us so we can have confidence. But he also does it so that we might have confidence that we might receive a blessing. 
As you come to the end of the story, you see how people respond, the crowd around respond, and how they bless Boaz and bless Ruth. And you read uh, this incredible blessing. It is an incredible blessing. They, uh, uh, they ask that Boaz be made famous in Epaphra in Bethlehem. Boaz, for him to be famous, for, his, uh, for them to have children. But it's a strange blessing as well. And I'm going to explain to you why. I don't know if you go to weddings. If you go to a wedding, you often find people pray for a couple at a wedding. And they pray great prayers. You imagine that they prayed like this. And I pray for this couple. I pray that, um, I pray for the wife. I pray for, let's call her Claire. I pray for Claire that she would be like Auntie Ethel. And everybody's there going, Auntie Ethel? Why Auntie Ethel? I mean, Auntie Ethel died in childbirth. Why would you pray that? I pray that John would be like Uncle Edwin. Well, Uncle Edwin? Uncle Edwin? I mean, he was a result of an affair. Why? Why would you? What on earth are you doing praying for blessing like that? When you read what these people prayed over Ruth and Boaz, listen to what they said. They prayed that that God would make the woman coming into Boaz's home like Leah and Rachel. Ah, how lovely, we say. Unfortunately, when you delve a little deeper, you find that Rachel was barren. She tried to have a family through a maidservant and eventually died giving birth to her second son. Leah was unloved by her husband and had to live for many, many years with rejection. They also pray for Boaz's family to be like that of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah. Perez was born to Tamar when she acted like a prostitute to to trick her father-in-law who had abandoned her. Perez grew up knowing that he was illegitimate. Can you imagine praying a prayer like that? What on earth is God trying to say to us through this? I believe he wants to say this, life rarely turns out as we plan. In Apollo 13, the spaceship was damaged, broken. Even when it came back and was going back home, it was still broken and damaged, even though it was going in the right direction. How many of us live with shattered dreams? How many of us live with expectations that are broken. God wants you to know that blessing comes in the midst of brokenness and disappointment. The promise of God is that we can know his presence in hard times, in the midst of failure and seeming defeat, in the midst of loss. Difficult situations are opportunities for us to go deeper with God. That's what they were praying of. They were praying blessing, but they were saying, when it gets tough, trust God. We have to press through the pain to know the blessing. The story of Ruth reminds us that those who are prepared to take the long walk home in the midst of loss, failure, disappointment, emptiness, and seemingly no hope will find God there waiting for them. Jesus always contends for us. 
finally and quickly, I want to say this. Jesus always comes through for us. Always comes through for us. At the last, hope is restored. Ruth has a husband. She's a wife. She is no longer called the Moabitess, a derogatory term, or the woman. She has a new identity. She is part of the people of God. God enables her to conceive. She has been barren, but like so many of women of God in the Old Testament, God enables her to conceive. She has a baby. Boaz, this old man, has an heir. Unexpected, has an heir. Naomi, this old lady, it says, has a son, a grandson. God has restored the years the locust has eaten. It doesn't mean that everything is put right. Naomi still has no husband. Boaz is still only a distant relative. And yet everyone celebrates the birth of Obed. You may feel it is impossible for where you're at. You may feel so broken, so damaged, you've messed up so much, there is no hope for you. You are not beyond redemption. You are not beyond God working this out for you. You are not beyond God turning this around. You see, God often tests us with a season of brokenness or spiritual barrenness to take us deeper into him before we see breakthrough. As a church, we've probably not grown for about 12, 14 years. I don't know about you, but I, I, feel, I feel, as, feel that we're barren. God, break the chains of barrenness. I feel that we have longed for new life amongst us. We have thrown ourselves on Jesus' feet, and it's felt like God has been asleep. I want to tell you that God has heard our cries. God has heard our cries. He is committed to us. Jesus is contending for us and will come through for us. He will restore hope. This book closes with an old woman sitting with a baby on her lap. Many things are left unresolved, yet Naomi is content in God. Who would have ever thought it would end like this? Yet this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. She's sitting there with a baby on her lap. You may feel broken, but God says you have something, albeit in its infancy, on your lap. You have no idea what he is going to do. Naomi had no idea what he was going to do, what God was going to do in this. And actually, as you read the end of that chapter, at the end of the chapter, it's clear that her kin, Naomi's kinsman redeemer, her redeemer, isn't Boaz, it's this baby. What on earth does it mean? Naomi has no idea, but this baby is about to become the father and, and then the gra- father himself and then a, the grandfather of King David, Israel's greatest king. 
This baby would be of the lineage of Jesus Christ. As you read through Matthew, you see Obed is named in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Naomi's kinsman redeemer was far greater than she could ever imagine, far greater than she could ever have hoped for. As you sit there this morning with just the barest glimmer of hope, this, as it were, this little baby on your lap, God says he is going to do far more than you can ask or imagine. He is going to do far more than you can dream of. He wants you to look to him. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to throw your lot in with him and trust him. He is the restorer of hope. As we stand at the start of this season with Hope Church just like a little baby on our laps, becoming Hope Church, just like this little baby on our lap, God says he will, he's got plans for us that we haven't even dreamed of. He's gonna, he has things for us that we can't even imagine. And he wants us to nurture this. He wants us to, just as Naomi loved this baby, he wants us to love this moment. He wants us to be committed to his purposes for the church here in Winchester. Who knows what God is going to do? Jesus always contends for us. Jesus always comes through for us. We're going to draw the meeting to a close in a moment. We're going to sing a song in a second. I've told the musicians to come up. And the song we're going to sing is this. We're going to sing Cornerstone. And Cornerstone is all about Jesus Christ being our all in all. And we're going to sing it in this way. We're going to stand to sing it. And just like in Apollo 13 where they shoot, they, they, they fire all their the remaining power they've got in their, their batteries, they fire them at the moon. We're going to throw ourselves on Jesus Christ. And if you this morning are feeling at your wits end, if you know that you've been struggling, if you know that you feel like the mission for you, it's come to an end, the, feels like the end of the line. Maybe you feel like you've been battling, this summer's been a bad time for you. We're going to focus on him and we're going to sing to him. And in this moment, I want you in your heart to be saying, Jesus, I give myself to you. I throw myself on you. I throw myself on your mercy. I trust you to turn this around. I feel I've been going in the wrong direction, but you can do it. And we're going to sing it with that spirit. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never given your life to him this morning, I want you to sing this. Jesus, I'm going to put my trust in you for the rest of my days. My life has been going that way. I want to go your way. Turn me around. Lord, we stand here before you. We thank you that you contend for us. Thank you that you fight for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you intercede for us. Thank you that if you're on our side, who can stand against us? 
Lord, we may feel that this has been an utter disaster this last season. We may feel that we've missed it. We may feel like the wheels have come off the tracks. We may feel like we're going in the wrong direction, but we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you turn everything around. And we throw ourselves on your grace. We throw ourselves on your grace. We throw ourselves on your mercy. We thank you that your blood avails for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you have publicly contended for us. You have fought the good fight for us, Lord Jesus. You have overcome for us once for all. It is finished. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You have battled through for us. You laid down your life for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you always come through for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray for each and every person here who feel like broken and damaged. Thank you that you are coming through for them. Lord Jesus, break through for them. Turn these situations around. Lord, we understand that not everything gets put right this side of heaven. But we say thank you that you are on our side, that you are for us, that you are with us. And if you are with us, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. We heard about all the fear that's going on in the world around us, Lord Jesus. But we thank you that in you there is no fear. You are our great captain, our great high priest. We want to say this morning, we love you, Lord Jesus. We honor you. Right where you are, I just want you to start lifting up your voice and tell him what you think of him. Tell him how great he is, how wonderful he is, how worthy of your worship he is. Come on, he publicly went to the cross for you.